we didn't do fireworks on Fourth of July because small town probably couldn't afford it. But we did fireworks on Labor Day when what was known as Cedar Fest. And so when I think of fireworks, I think of Cedar Fest. And my favorite part of fireworks displays are the very end, right? It's almost like they ran out of time. And at the end, someone just goes, light them all, right? Because it always starts out and it's like one, like a tester firework. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, right? But at the end, it's like, pow, 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 pow. That's a pretty good impersonation of a firework, if I say myself. But anyway, uh, and so they're just going crazy, right? And everyone starts cheering. It doesn't seem safe at all. And it's the best part. And there's all these fireworks going on. I was curious. And so I looked it up. The largest fireworks display ever happened on New Year's Eve, or technically New Year's Day, there January 1st in 2016 in the Philippines. They, uh, when the ball dropped in the Philippines, they had an hour-long fireworks display that set off a world record 810,904 fireworks. And so why do I share that besides liking fire and things that explode? I'm sharing that because they normally end the show with the big bang, the big celebration where everything goes crazy, that there's so much excitement that everything's just popping off. Pop, 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 pop. Well, today, as we jump into the letter of Ephesians, Paul actually starts off his letter how most fireworks shows end. He is so excited about the blessings of God and so excited about what God can do in people's lives and in the church's life in Ephesus that he just starts sharing blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And that's why this morning's message is called Hashtag Blessed. You know, that phrase has been hijacked a little bit to become really a social media trending topic that if, if you have your coffee or your home displayed in just the right way, never mind the unfolded laundry, not pictured, but in this corner, in this frame, and maybe you've had a horrible day, but you're able to feel better about your day, you take a picture, hashtag blessed, right? And so we go through, but what does being blessed actually mean? So to give you a little bit of context, last week we jumped into a series called Battles and Blessings. It's because your life is filled with both. And oftentimes, it's in the middle of the battles that we experience blessings, or on the reverse side, we experience these incredible blessings, but it's followed up with a battle. And so in the middle of your life, in the middle of whatever circumstance or situation that you're walking through, what I want to do today is dive into the Word of God and see what does it mean to actually be hashtag blessed. Last week, we shared a little bit of the context of this letter in Ephesians, how Paul had was seen as the main enemy or one of the main antagonists to early Christianity until he has an encounter with God on the road to Damascus found in Acts 9. He gets saved. He then becomes one of the early mouthpieces of the early church, goes on to write a good percentage of the New Testament, and he's traveling around planting churches, developing leaders. He spends about two to three years in the city of Ephesus, which was a major trade city. At the time, he gets run out of town through a 
massive riot, continues planting churches. Fast forward about 10 years later, he is in prison in Rome awaiting trial for preaching the gospel. And so he writes a letter around 60 or 62 AD back to the churches in Ephesus. It's seen as a circular letter or it's going to go around to multiple locations. And so here he is encouraging them with a message that if he's got one thing to say, he's going to encourage them in Christ. And last week we shared how your identity shapes your activity. That he starts off the letter. He doesn't say, dear, dearly depraved, dear wretched sinners. He actually says to the saints in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so he doesn't write from the perspective of sinner. He writes from the perspective of saint. And that is because our identity is received as a a saved son or daughter of God. It's not based on what we do, but based on what God's done. And so because of that, we can define our identity. We can find our value and our worth in Jesus and not in this world. And so he's going to jump right into it. And he's not walking slowly into the pool. He's going full-on cannonball, right? Like, he is going crazy. He's jumping in. It's the end of the fireworks display. It's almost like, like, hold on, Paul, let's save everything for the end. No, they've got to get this. Boom, 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 boom. And so we're going to see one of the most theologically rich passages in all of the Bible. In fact, we're going to look at just about 11 or 12 verses here, verses 3 to 14. And in the original language, it's actually one sentence. So Paul was so excited, he writes this really long run-on one sentence to talk about the blessings of God. The last song we sang on our, the front-end worship set here was known as the doxology. And the, that doxology is, is meant to remind us of the gospel, remind us on a regular basis of who God is and what God has done. Those original words were penned around 1709 by a guy named Bishop Thomas Ken, and it was seen as the last verse, and the, the old hymns in the 1700s, 1800s had like 13 stanzas kind of thing, like 9, 10, 13 stanzas, and so uh, we couldn't remember all of those, so we could remember the last one, and so we took that one, and that doxology has been sung all over the world for the past 200, almost really 300 years. And so today, in this firework display, we're going to see this idea of a doxology found. What is salvation? Who is God? And what does it mean to be blessed? And so if you have your notes, I want you to write this down. Simply put, in Christ you are rich. In Christ you are rich. You are rich beyond every billionaire that has ever been born's riches combined. And the key there are those two words, in Christ. Some commentators have said that all of Paul's theology could be summed up in those two words, in Christ. In fact, you're going to see in him, in Christ, in the beloved, multiple times in the passage that we're going to read today. And the reason is that everything is based in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And the reason I can say you are more rich than all the billionaires combined is because... 
Those riches are defined by this world, and our riches are defined by eternity. It doesn't matter how much money you have, because you don't get to take it with you into the next. And that people who were millionaires and billionaires just decades ago, or 100 years ago, 200, 300 years ago, are no longer on our minds. And they are forgotten. Because worldly wealth and possessions are temporary. Where the riches we talk about last forever. And they're found in Christ. And you have access to them right now. It's not like we have to be Nicolas Cage on a hunt. Like in the movie National Treasure. Right? Where he's like, I'm going to steal them. Declaration of Independence. It could be one of the greatest movie lines of all time, right? If nothing else, I, I, I would put Nicolas Cage in a small group of people who I want to narrate my life, if possible. Wouldn't that be great? Like maybe him, Liam Neeson, or Morgan Freeman, right? That'd be great. Like I want to know, does Nicolas Cage go through everyday life at that level, you know? I'm going to get a gallon of milk. And like he goes in and is like searching through, right? And so the whole premise of the movie, if you haven't, is, is a classic and, and I think a document. I think is a true story. And, uh, and so searching for treasure, hidden there in our nation's capital. And, and when they find that treasure, there's this crazy level of excitement, right? Well, in that same way, Paul, even when he's in prison and he's lost earthly wealth, he's lost earthly stuff. It's like he's found the treasure and he's realized that it is available to you and to me. But that treasure is found in Christ. A way to think about the phrase in Christ is that we tend to make salvation ultimately about us, don't we? That's why you hear phrases like, ask Jesus into my heart. Or you know, I prayed the prayer of salvation and, and Jesus is in my life and I asked Jesus into my heart. Pause for one moment. That sounds weird if you're not churchy, right? If someone's going to live in your heart? That's odd, right? And uh, what does that even mean? Well, the idea there is that the truth of who God is and what God has done, you believe in your head, but really you believe in your heart and in your soul and that, and that you believe it to be true, that you put the weight of your life in Christ, and so you accept that truth as truth, and your God, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And so I believe that it can be seen as accurate to ask Jesus into your heart, that you can ask the Spirit of God into your life. But the problem with that is that if we stay there, if that's all that Jesus is to us, is that Jesus is a nice commodity or component of our life. That if you think of yourself as your body, that even if you have something in your heart here, and you think, Jesus is very important, but what I do on Sunday doesn't necessarily connect to my job, or connect to what I do on the weekend, or my secret sin over here, or my doubts and questions over here, or how I speak over here. And so we compartmentalize faith, and we think it's okay because we ask Jesus into our heart. But when you reverse the priority, you realize that it's not about Jesus coming into your life, 
but you giving your life up to him. Now what you're saying is that in Christ, I give everything. That means in Christ is my marriage. In Christ is my finances. In Christ is my purity and my choices and my actions. So all the hang-ups, all the issues, all the struggles, everything that is me is actually in Jesus. I give all that up to him and say, Jesus, this is your world, your life. And so there in Christ we find that we are rich. Now, to give a little bit of structure to this passage we're going to read, because it's so intense and it's so dense, I encourage you to read it beyond a Sunday morning, but it sets up pretty cool. You see, it actually talks about the role of the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, and so if you have a conversation with someone and say, oh, Trinity is not in the Bible, okay, the word itself is not, but we weren't sure how to describe all these truths, and so we came up with the word Trinity to describe what is in here. And so what is in here is the distinct role of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you see in this passage, you see the structure that we have God, God the Father, who selects us. And He chooses us. J.D. Greer puts it this way. He says, has it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God? Think about that for a moment. Nothing has ever dawned on God. Nothing has ever surprised Him. That means God is not surprised by your circumstance right now, that God is not surprised by this pandemic. But rather, God operates all powerfully, but in all times. And from the foundation of the world, we're going to see that God has chosen you. It's called election and predestination, this idea that God knew, but God chose you first. Now, why did he choose you? It's not like he he had his disciple fantasy draft. It's not like he's looking at your worship stats, your prayer-to-answered-prayer conversion ratio, right? Ah, he had a few turnovers last week. Eh, I'm not going to play him, right? He's got a tough opponent this week. I'm not going to play that guy. He's got a lot stacked against him. Right? It's not, okay, I do play fantasy football, and I love it. Anyway, um, he didn't choose you based on what you could offer. He chose you because he loves you. And he chose you based on what he could give and show. And that, that is grace. That is God's favor. And so he chooses you. And, and there's this been this debate for thousands of years at this point between at what point, how much of it is God's election and predestination and how much of it is based on free will. And, and if you want to have those conversations offline, I'm happy to have those with you. The only thing I'm going to say today is the fact that it's in there. And if it's in there, then I'm going to choose to believe it. That when God plainly shares what is there and that God has chosen you, that I'm going to rest in that. Because it's based on God, not based on me. And because God has chosen us, then then we use our free will, we make that choice to love God back and to follow Him into belief. And so you're going to see here God selecting us. But then you see that Jesus saves us. That Jesus actually executes, runs the play of salvation, comes to earth because no one has seen God, but Word becomes flesh. Jesus comes down to earth 
Emmanuel, God with us, lives on this earth, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross as a payment for your sins and for mine, and then rises again on the third day, conquering death, defeating sin, and giving you the opportunity to experience forgiveness and salvation and eternity and abundant life. And so he provides the way. And so God selects us. God the Father, Jesus, saves us. And we have redemption. Now, just pause there for a moment. You want to know what we bring to the redemption table? The only thing we bring to redemption is the sin required to be redeemed. <laughs> like, have you ever been to a party where everyone's got to bring something, like potluck, right? If you have a go-to side dish, right, or casserole, like you typically you get chosen to bring that dish. You know what I'm talking about? Go ahead and if you're, if you're known for a dish, go ahead and share that with your neighbor. Right now, go ahead and share what that is, okay? What that dish is, okay? And you got you got family dynamics, right? And friends dynamics. So, what do you give the person that is either either too busy or you don't trust their cooking? What do you ask them to bring? Chips, ice, buns, right? Okay, you bring all the meat. You bring the seven-layer dip. You bring this casserole. You bring this perfectly cut-up fruit. Ah, you're going to need to bring the ice. Right? And so if you look at the feast of all eternity and everything that God has to offer, the only thing we bring to the party is the sin that requires redemption. <laughs> But yet Jesus still loves us. And so then we see the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit seals us. This is this idea of validation of the contents delivered. So the picture here is a seal from a king or a messenger on a package or a message that that seal represents or validates that what's inside is genuine, authentic, and real. When my kids were younger, we took to a very fancy restaurant, um, McDonald's. <laughs> sorry, sorry to flex on you guys like that. But um, we were there, and we got a cheeseburger. And, you know, there are some great workers at restaurants. And then there's, we'll just say, not the best workers. Maybe they're not motivated to be there. Not, not saying anything about that particular McDonald's. But we got one of those workers, right? Didn't care. Don't know if they even understood our order, just punch things in, they talk like this, monotone, what do you want? Not even like a hello, like let's just say this person would not be hired at Chick-fil-A, that's all I'm saying, okay? And so we placed, we got cheese, some cheeseburgers and fries, right? Kids are all excited, they got the play paste, we got the cheeseburgers and fries, it's, it's wrapped, it's, it's sealed, it's got the little contents on it. We open it up, all right, cool, bun, yep, cheese, yep. Something's missing. It's cheese burger. Uh, they've forgotten to put the burger in the cheeseburger and had fully wrapped bun, cheese bun. And that was it. And, uh, and so I, I look at it, and what was interesting is, is my kiddos didn't notice for the first couple bites. <laughs> and they're like, I got a couple bites in. Like, wait a second, there's nothing here. And so I take it back up to the worker, who seemed very concerned and cared about my well-being, and said, stop the presses. I will do what is needed to make this right. 
Actually, his response was, and? <laughs> I was like, I ordered a plain cheeseburger. He's like, it's plain. It's like, no, cheeseburger. And I had to, like, explain to this gentleman that a burger, anyway. So why do I share that? A lot of what the world has to offer us and what we think of validation and value and worth is like that mispackaged cheeseburger. Like, we think, oh, man, it's going to be great. And we open it up, and it's like bun, cheese. Ah, something's missing. And it doesn't deliver what was sent. What the Holy Spirit does in our lives is that it serves as the substitute presence of Jesus. Jesus actually told the disciples that it is to your benefit that I leave so that I can send you the helper or the advocate. And the Holy Spirit actually dwells inside of you. This could be where we get the phrasing to ask God into our hearts. And so you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. And so that validates, that secures what has been delivered, authenticates it. You know, we can gripe about technology all we want, but I think we can all agree that we are grateful that Amazon Prime is in our lifetime. Right? Like, I've never met anyone who says, like, man, we need to cut back on technology. Does that mean Amazon? Are you kidding me? What happens when I need that thing that I can order and it gets delivered, like, an hour later on my stuff? I don't even know how that's physically possible, but it's there, and we are blessed. So, um, so here's the thing. So if you think about Amazon Prime, right, you order something, you get a tracking number, and it's delivered. Now, in Scripture... For all of time, we have almost like an eternity prime. We have everything available to us, the keys of the kingdom given to us now. Now, we eagerly await a time where there will be no more mourning, no more death, no more cancer, no more sickness, no more sin. But we have the tracking number. We have the authentication that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit seals us, that we are from and of God as a son, as a daughter, as someone who is forgiven and redeemed, and that we have a deposit securing our inheritance forever. That means that eternity doesn't start the moment you die, that eternity starts the moment you receive Jesus, and that you have access to God, access to redemption and salvation and hope and freedom and joy and love right now, this very moment. Can you see where Paul is excited? The other thing he says about the Holy Spirit is that he calls it a deposit. He calls it a deposit. Now, the real estate market is going crazy right now. I have conversations with my father-in-law who's in, in real estate, and it's just going crazy, right? Like, the contracts are, are just going all over the board. And so, to secure the house, you, you, you write up the contract, you put down the deposit, right? And that, so that you get the house. Well, the Holy Spirit in our lives is the deposit that we hold on to. So that when we're surrounded by darkness, when we're surrounded by sin, if you've ever found yourself asking that question, God, how could you let blank, right? How can you let this happen? The reality is the contract is not fully closed yet, but we have the Holy Spirit that has secured our deposit. And while we're talking about the housing market, how do you determine the price of something, the value of something? 
It's based on what someone would pay, right? You have to do an appraisal of how something is worth. Let me ask you this question. Then how much would your soul be appraised for? We go of what was paid for. And that means that the very Son of God was payment for your soul. That means your value, your worth is limitless and beyond comprehension because it is eternal. And that's why in Jesus Christ we are rich. Amen. All of this, and we've not even read yet. <laughs> so I, you've got to see this because there are so many words, so many concepts. We could spend weeks and months in here, but we're just going to read this through today. And I want you to get excited as Paul was. Here we go. Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea here of blessing is to extol praise, to give praise or to give favor or a gift to one another. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So blessed be God who has blessed us with every blessing. That's blessings on blessings on blessings. Okay, this is awesome. This is a party. This is a fireworks show going off. So verse 4, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Christ Jesus, or through Jesus Christ. Now, pausing here, this phrase has even more meaning for me as my family have walked through this process of adoption, that when we got, you might see people post or celebrate Gotcha Day. And the reason people celebrate Gotcha Day is because legally that child has the full rights of the family. At that exact moment, as an adopted child, they have the full rights of the family. This means that as adopted sons and daughters of God, that we have full rights to the inheritance of God Himself. He continues on and says that all this according to the purpose of His will. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. I love that phrase, lavished upon us, because that means that Jesus didn't give us a little bit of blessing. A little, little, little blessing, right? Like, he didn't just give us that. Like, He went all out. Uh... My middle son loves whipped cream out of the can. Okay, who doesn't though, right? I mean, just the sound alone is just worth having it, right? So he asked me, he's like, hey, Dad, can I have some yogurt and whipped cream? It was closer to bed time. I said, okay, but just, just a little bit of whipped cream, buddy. Like, I know you love whipped cream. He said, okay. And he goes in the kitchen, I'm in the living room, so I can hear him, but I can't see him. And all I hear behind me is, I'm like, Carter? A little giggle. <laughs> he used three-fourths of a can on a one bowl of yogurt, and he walked out. I was like, Carter, I said a little bit. And he goes, yep, you didn't say what a little bit meant. <laughs> and he goes, and he went all through, and I, I got to love his, 
his desire for it, and so just to go big or go home, right? And so here's what I love about God, is that God lavished his grace upon us, that he did not just give us a little dollop, that it's just this, like, blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Like, it is not some small thing that God does not withhold or just give you a little pebble or a little nugget. It is not like the little watering things we give hamsters, like the little water where we have to go... Right? Like this little, oh, give us some grace, God. Like, he goes, you want some grace? I got Niagara Falls coming your way. Like, like it's coming. Like, it is grace upon grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing upon blessing that God lavishes this. Why? Because we lavish the ones we love. That we love to go out and to have fun and to celebrate and to lift them up. Why? Because we love them. And if you love your children or spouse or friends or the community, how much more so does God love you? And he continues on. There he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This sounds like someone who is rich in Christ, doesn't it? Someone who's been beaten and suffered and alone and attacked and in prison and is writing a letter. And he cannot even save that for the end. He's like, if you don't read all the letter, like, you've got to get this. You've got to get this, like, right out of the gate. Boom, 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 boom. That you are blessed. And what's so cool about that is that you see that God selects us in the past that from the foundation of before the foundation of the world God chose you and then we see that Jesus saves you for the present meaning that he he saved you he, he bought you on redemption uh, really on Calvary 2000 years ago on the cross but it was for you and me right now in this moment that forgiveness is possible redemption is possible right now And then he seals us with the Holy Spirit to give us the promised future. And so we have a God who is the God of the past, our present, and our future, and that he has blessed us throughout, but not for our glory. Did you notice that? It's for his. So at the beginning part, God selects us to the praise of his glory. Jesus saves us, now verse 12, to the praise of His glory, and that the Holy Spirit seals us, what, not for our glory, but for His glory. That He does all of this because He can. It's because who, it's who He is. And so all of these blessings, let me just walk through five of them with you. We've kind of been talking about it along the way, but let me just share five. What does it mean to be rich in Christ? What does it mean to be blessed? You're chosen. Everybody loves to be chosen. 
Pick your show. doesn't matter what show it is. From America's Got Talent to whatever dating show you want to go. Like, everyone wants to be selected, right? To be chosen. Why? Because as little kids, we long for that, don't we? Like, you're at recess. You're playing games, right? Pick me, pick me. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that even on our worst day, we can take comfort in the fact that God chose you? And we're adopted sons and daughters of God. That we have full rights and access to Him. That we are redeemed. That He paid for us, that for our souls, that, that salvation, which means that we are forgiven. And then we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that even when the dark world is around us, or when we fall, or we make mistakes, we can take to the spiritual bank these truths that I am chosen, I am adopted, I am redeemed, I am forgiven, I am sealed, and I am rich in Christ. Amen. And notice who does it. It's not even based on us. So, you might have seen some of these words in the passage we just read, but let me just share a couple of them with you. That the ways of God, the way this comes about, is that it's God's purpose. God created you on purpose, with a purpose. Specifically, His purpose. That means that you have value in what you do and who you are. You can go into the workplace, into the conversation, into the community to make a difference for Him. That it's God's plan. That it is ultimately God's promise. It's not based on you keeping your word. It's based on God keeping His. And then it's God's power. That if you think to yourself, I can't do it, you are correct. You can't. But God can. And you have access to God. This then leads to God's praise. And so if you're down and you take a moment and you just read this and you pray over it and you meditate on it and you think through it and you realize, wow, I'm chosen. I'm adopted, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I am sealed, that that God has given me His promise and His, His power, and it's God's purpose, it's God's plan, and it's God's praise. What is our response to all that God has given us? The only thing we can do, church, is to respond with worship and obedience. Worship and obedience. That's why Paul can end his, his life, end it in prison, writing letters about his richness in Christ because the Romans can't take that away. He knew that. He's standing face to face with God right now in glory. He is still walking in the riches that he preached about. This is not some marketing pyramid scheme that if you get this person and they get that person and you get that person and then and then maybe you might be blessed. 
It doesn't work like that. It's God. It's Jesus. Jesus is the blessing. (laughs) And so our response to him is, here, I give you my life. I want to be in you. I don't want you just in my heart. I want to be in your story. I want to be used. I want to experience your kingdom. I want to experience your presence. And God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. As the band comes up on stage, I want to close with a story of a time when I I most learned about the riches of God. I was on a mission trip down in Mexico. And we took a group to go be a blessing to others, right? Oh, we're going to do it. Because Americans, they don't have anything. We have everything. We're going we're to bless them. And we were in this orphanage, and we are going to do a church service. And in the middle of the church service, they had testimony time. And some of you might have heard me share this in smaller conversations. But this girl gets up, who's working at the orphanage. And she's got a joy about her that just you can't. You can't explain. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that? You've seen someone that's got something, that spark, that's just contagious, that's just infectious, that's just, I shouldn't use that word right now, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's just, you see that, and she just, and everything, like, she just starts saying that God is so good, I am so blessed, and God is, I'm so rich in Christ. Like, wow, this girl gets it, you know? And, and she starts to tell her story, and she says, you know, I didn't always know the riches of God. When I was a kid, my mom was a drug addict and left us. My dad was an abuser. And so one evening to protect myself and my siblings, I grabbed my younger siblings and we left. We escaped. And then for the next year, lived on the streets. Then I turned eight. What? She goes, and then I turned eight. I was like, this girl had experienced more in her little lifetime that she shouldn't even exist right now. And she's got this, what? What? She's about 17 at this time. And she said, they found the orphanage, or as you said, they found me brought me in and they showed me that I have value and they showed me that I am loved and I experienced the love of Jesus for the first time and now I want to give back and so that's why I'm working in the same orphanage that helps me so I really am rich and I was like oh my goodness that's a girl who gets it I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what doubts you have. But I want to tell you this, that whatever struggles you have, you can be rich in Christ. You can find hope and purpose and freedom in Him and love in Him because He is bigger than your sin. He is bigger than your circumstance. He's bigger than any of your doubts. And that in Christ you are blessed that God has selected you, that Jesus has saved you, that the Holy Spirit steals you experience is promised today. You pray with me? Dear God, I just thank you for who you are and what you've done. That in you, Jesus, we really are rich. 
that what you have to offer has been better than anything of this world, and that you lavish us with your grace upon grace upon blessing upon blessing because you love us. So help us find our worth, our value, our purpose, our joy, and who you are. We believe in you, Jesus. We commit our lives to you. And may we respond living our lives knowing that we have everything we need in you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Help us today to live in you. In your sins that we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing?